We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to a brand new OBR Film Breakdown podcast. This is your Thursday, January 4th edition. I'm here and joined by Andrew Spade, where we have Pro Bowl rosters to go over, and then we have a mailbag to get through as well. We were hoping to have Jordan Zern, but he is on the COVID disabled list. No, we don't call it the disabled list anymore. It's the injured list yeah. in baseball. We've mm-hmm. gotten rid of the disabled tag. So uh, anyway, speaking of disabled, I welcome in Andrew Spade. What's up, man? What's going <laughs> oh, man. on? It's the best intro I've gotten so far on this pod, Jake. Thank you. Um it's good, it's good to be with you, and uh, yeah, it's it's there's a lot of news all of a sudden. We kind of talked, I think, yesterday about how it's been a little more sporadic, uh, longer week weekend off for the, the team, but now they're back in Berea. We heard from Kevin Stefanski today about his plans for who they're going to play, who they're not going to play on Sunday. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about the Pro Bowl, and then we got all these great mailbag questions. So it's a packed show. We got to dig right in. Yeah, let's talk through that uh, real quick injury report. Who's playing, who's not playing. I have actually not caught up on this. I've had a bit of a hectic evening. so Oh, I get uh, maybe, to break some news to you, Jake. M- maybe you can. I, I did see that, correct me if I'm wrong, that Elijah Moore is not in the pro. Is he in the protocol? He's still in the protocol, but he was practicing. He was out there today. Yeah. Okay, because he said he, he wasn't on the it's, – it's all something about him them saying he wasn't on the like the injured list, but I am seeing him. Uh, with a limited yeah, he did, well, I think what it was is he wasn't one of the people to sit, and they had a bunch of guys sit. So That's I'll right. run through them: uh, Batonio, Cooper, Mike Ford, Dustin Hopkins, Kareem Hunt, Greg Newsom, David Njoku, Ethan Posich, Anthony Walker, all DNPs today for Wednesday practice. But what you would expect, given what Kevin Stefanski said in his press conference today about who, uh, how they're going to approach Sunday, which is that they're going to rest some players, they're going to have some inactives. Uh, players who would not normally be inactive, and then they're going to have some players who are dressed and ready to play, but with the intention that they won't play unless they're needed in the game. Uh, okay. And then, of course, he also announced that Jeff Driscoll is your starting quarterback. So, uh, out of nowhere, Jeff yeah. Driscoll. Hey, did you ever play Red Dead Redemption? Of course, the O'Driscolls. The, the O'Driscolls. I posted yeah. that in the OBR Slack and got zero response from anybody. When I hear the name Driscoll, I think mm-hmm. of the O'Driscolls. I love that yeah. game. But yeah, uh, didn't Driscoll, did he start against the Browns? And uh, Maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. But he did. Did he start he did. for the Bengals against the Browns? Because he I feel played like, for the Bengals oh, for a that's minute, a good right? Question. Yeah, I don't know if it was the Bengals. I feel I felt like it was the Texans, perhaps. I like, think you're right about the last Texans. Year or last year was, was Kyle. They're all. No, you're right. Yeah, together. it's a, kind of a blur of. But the most important thing, and I think the, the context that needs to be added here, is that Driscoll was with the Cardinals. That and does there's, help. There's that really does only help. one team in the NFL that runs the most similar playbook to the Browns, and that's the Cardinals. So that's that's the connect the dots piece here. Is you wonder how a guy that they added last week could be ready to start this week, or they added it after the Jets game. Even um, the only way that's possible is because he's been with the Cardinals, and so uh, Drew Petzing was the quarterbacks coach here last year, is the offensive coordinator in Arizona. Obviously, Copy paste a, playbook over in Arizona, maybe. Exactly. There, there's right. a high degree of 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 crossover, I'm sure, and I think there's that, and then there's the part that uh, I think it was Pete mentioned in our, uh, as you you mentioned our our OBR Slack. Um, Pete mentioned the the read option that Stefanski loves, 
this will be a game that I think you'll see a lot of running quarterback to try and juice the running game a little bit and also just run the clock. Sacrifice is is very much respected here, Mr. Driscoll. <laughs> we appreciate you putting your body on the line for the Browns. The Bengals really have nobody uh, on the injured list. They do have T. Higgins not practicing, but I, I mean, I saw the Bengals were in uh, practice footage with every single player on the roster out running routes. It's a meaningless game for them. It's a meaningless game for the Browns. And um, you will wonder why some of the players are out there on the field at times. It's because it's not a 90 man college roster that you can play a bunch of, you know, freshmen or something like that. You're going to have to play some of these guys because depth can only be so deep at some spots, but this is a really good thing as a reminder, we're hoping and you are really hoping that this week off doesn't, hinder the the hot streak that they're on but for a team like if the browns had a week 13 by or week 12 any double digit this would mean a lot less but a team that gets a week five by to have an additional week here to to rest up now would we prefer andrew that they were playing for a division title this week of course that would be a much cooler thing yeah but they do have a nice advantage here of getting something out of this which is resting their body for an additional, you know, an additional week, which four is something games. a team for that an is additional four games to come. Yeah. For the additional four games that are to come and for a team that hasn't had much of a break and has yeah. had a lot of injuries, that's a pretty nice thing for them. So uh, obviously welcome, despite the disappointment of not getting a chance to win the division this week. Yeah. We talked about what we would do. We talked about, pl- I, I talked about playing guys. I prefer that. Uh, Kevin Stefanski has a different approach and I'm fine with that. He's, he has, a much better handle on the pulse of his team than I do. So I trust him to get this right. And I trust the players to be ready to go next week in whatever AFC South city they are playing in. So yeah, I, I, it's not what I would have done, but it's also not for me to sit sit here and second guess a decision like this, because it really does involve knowing what's up with each and every individual player. Yeah. Their bye week was week five. So you're talking about, essentially three months ago at this point, it's a long time. And it's a, you know, we know what the NFL season is at this point. So to get some guys, Miles Garrett is at the top of my list. Amari Cooper's right behind him to get guys who are starting to get a little bit older, definitely are feeling the wear and tear of a full 17 game schedule to get them some rest heading into the, the playoffs where you do really hope to make a run. Makes sense to me. Well said, let's switch over to the pro bowl. Now where the Browns have five players making it to the initial roster whatever it is anymore, the Pro Bowl games. I mean, I'm happy they're not playing a game anymore because that thing was really a farce, but uh, this is not quite what it used to be. It's just more of a recognition thing now, which is nice, right? Joel Batonio, Amari Cooper, Miles Garrett, David Njoku, Denzel Ward. A couple people I think that you could hopefully uh, have seen in there or get a, a rotational opportunity, right? A uh, What do they call that? Uh, you had the word earlier, Andrew. Help me out. Step in here. A um, Alternate? alternate see there it is big big huge word i couldn't remember it here are the guys for the rest of the roster we're going to see if we have any dispute to these players making it here's uh the first one's uh, quarterback tua tagovailoa you have lamar jackson you have patrick mahomes obviously uh, flacco should be in there i mean it seems like it'd be a great story um you anyway, might make it we, as an alternate by the time everybody opts out and everything yeah, else you know yeah tyler huntley made it so why can't joe flacco Mahomes, Pro Bowler this year. All right. Um, Raheem Mostert, this is running backs now. Raheem Mostert, I was watching like a game from Purdue in like 2013. Forgot, I didn't even know where Mostert went. He didn't. He was just a non-factor for them. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, this guy leads the NFL in touchdowns. Uh, James Cook from Buffalo and Derrick Henry. I honestly couldn't tell you many AFC running backs who had a decent season. I, I really couldn't. Right. Uh, James Cook being on there is like, Thought there were times where they didn't even want to play him. Like <laughs> it's been a weird ride for James Cook this year. Uh, so again, an underwhelming group there. The wide receiver group is pretty strong. Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, uh, Amari Cooper, and then Keenan Allen's. Uh, he's been pretty hurt late in the year, so I would imagine maybe there'll be an alternate there or something of that nature. Uh, tight ends: Travis Kelsey, David Njoku. Do you remember who made it last year? So who Njoku's making it in place of? Because that would be interesting to see who he's. Would have been Mark Andrews, likely. Probably would have been Mark Andrews, and and I imagine David would have had a tough time because Andrews was on pace to have a really nice season before that. Yes, that uh, the hip drop tackle, that evil. Get it out of the game. Tackle, get it out. Offensive tackle. Speaking of tackles, Laramie Tunzel, 
He's really good. Deion Dawkins from Buffalo and then Teron Armstead for Miami. Any argument for James Hudson, Jerron Christian, maybe make one? <laughs> no, I'm not prepared to make one, but I do. My instincts tell me that there's got to be a better option at left at tackle there than Deion Dawkins. I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready with a name here, but it feels like there has to be somewhere. Well, you would think the way Cincinnati built up Orlando Brown, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Savior, he would be in that group, but surprisingly he's not. Yeah. Um, offensive guards, Quentin Nelson, Joel Batonio, and then Joe Thune, um, and, 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 you know, Wyatt Teller's not there. Bit of a surprise. He's been there recently. He's actually been the healthiest Brown yeah. interior lineman. So that's an interesting one, right? Yeah. He's um, one of the Browns alternates. So he, he'll probably end up if, uh, you know, you got a good chance there if the, if the Chiefs, uh, well, the Browns to... will be in the Super Bowl. So they will, right. Be good able point. To be yeah. Alternates. Never mind. Okay. Ignore that point. Take that back. To make. Yeah. Reel that one back in. Centers. Creed Humphrey and Tyler Linderbaum. I agree. Those are two really nice football players. Mm -hmm. Defensive side, we get essentially six edge players because they still don't know how to label this stuff. You have defensive ends and outside linebackers. So Miles Garrett, Max Crosby, Trey Hendrickson, TJ Watt, Khalil Mack, and Josh Allen. I'm not, not really sure that they missed one there. I think those are probably pretty right. Those at least have seemed to me from afar in the AFC like yeah, some of the best ones. Maybe Alex Highsmith over T.J. Watt, but that's, that might be being picky. It's hard to get it wrong when you take six. Yeah, it's true. We got a lot of opportunities. Um, all right, defensive tackle: Chris Jones, Quentin Williams, and Justin Matabike. He's a stud. He's really yep. good. Yeah, that's a nice list. That is a nice list. All right, next is inside linebackers, where this is the Baltimore Ravens show: Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. Right. So, yep. um, you know, again, Bill Barnwell's fantastic write up. Second team all pro, <laughs> JOK. I think he is worthy of being an all pro uh, on the second team, but they uh they they take Patrick Queen here or the fan vote or whoever yeah, this goes. That's that's bananas. The Patrick Queen piece of this is is absolute bananas. Uh I better I than he used to be, but not No, it's it, yeah. It's not that he's a bad player, but for him to be a, a Pro Bowl starter is hard just hard to swallow, hard to fathom. Patrick Sertan talking cornerbacks now. Sauce Gardner, Jalen Ramsey, and a, a rightful so here, Denzel Ward, who had a nice season. I like that. You could make a case for Martin Emerson, but I'm probably not taking any of those frontline guys off. So I'm saying maybe Emerson is an alternate is fitting if he is one. Is he one? He not? is not. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's the problem that's, is that he's not even right. an alternate. That is uh, frustrating and shocking and angering. Yeah, you feel like the Ravens defense is getting a bunch of respect, right? They have... Mm -hmm. um, you know, a defensive tackle on that list, two starting linebackers, and then a uh, safety with Kyle Hamilton. The Browns, technically the better defense this year, not in the same realm there. So it's fascinating. It's interesting. I'm just saying it's interesting. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Safeties. You have Justin Simmons from Denver, Minka Fitzpatrick from Pittsburgh, and then Kyle Hamilton from Baltimore. And then on the special team side, a couple more weeks, maybe Ronnie Hickman could have been in the discussion playing good mm -hmm. football. Uh, Justin Tucker over, over our guy, D Hop. Surprising mm -hmm. there. Didn't think Tucker had as good a year. A lot of reputation built into that one. Yeah. Well, Hopkins led fan voting for all kickers in the league uh, ahead of anybody. So the fact that he's not the starter there, Tucker was fifth in the league in fan voting. So third in the AFC. So yeah, this is about the uh, whatever team officials, coaches, players, whoever else votes on this stuff. That it's about them pushing him to get in because they know his name. AJ Cole, the snapper or the punter from Las Vegas, long snapper Ross Matisic. Do you think I got that right? Sounds I do. right to me. Um, special teamer, additional special teamer, Miles Killebrew from Pittsburgh, right on. And then Marvin Mims, who's a nice, uh, a nice punt returner, even though he did have a really big mishap in the biggest Denver game of the year against New England. Neither here nor there. We're not even going to worry about the NFC. Don't care about them. So we're not mm -hmm. going to talk about them. But that's. That's your group, unless we're leaving out an alternate. Did we did we get the alternates all? Well, yeah. So so just to recap the Browns, I'll just go through all the Browns. Miles Garrett, Joel Batonio, David Njoku, and Amari Cooper and Denzel Ward are your five Pro Bowlers, uh starters, whatever, on the roster. And then the alternates are uh Ethan Posich, Wyatt Teller, Jeremiah Usu Koromoa, Grant Delpit. Dustin Hopkins and Corey Bohorquez. Okay. I, the only one I would feel again is left out of that is Emerson. Like For sure. Should be, oh, a hundred percent. One of the better cornerbacks in the league to not even be an alternate is shocking. 
good good group though. I mean, that's a good recognition of a good season. I mean, I don't know if we you have that when you wrote that article up, Andrew, about how many they've had in the past, but I feel like five is a really good number. And as far as it the is. old go, that's a pretty it good is. number yeah, as it well. Was, it was three last year. It was Chubb, Garrett, and uh, I'm blanking on the third. Teller. Teller yeah. was the third last year. Yeah. I think that's been where they've been is, is about three. I think they had five the year that uh, they went to the playoffs. So yeah, it's, it's, it's on the, on the high side for the Browns. And I think they're well represented, especially if, I mean, obviously you'd rather take a trip to the Super Bowl, but if they're not in the Super Bowl, I think a lot of these alternates have a chance. Yeah, uh, to to make some some appearances as well. So overall, there could be a lot of brown helmets in Orlando for the tug of war or whatever they do now. Right on. All right. So uh, on the NFC side, I just want to ask: Did I know it's Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford? Did Baker make it in as an alternate? Have a chance to make his first one? I don't have the full list of alternates in front of me. I just have okay. the Browns alternates, so gotcha. uh, I can effort that. But I was uh, curious because he had a nice season. If he, I, uh, if he I have a feeling there. he probably did because I think they name anybody with a shot at it as an alternate. It's interesting that running backs and fullbacks are listed for the NFC. Kyle Juszczyk, again, Medina, Ohio's finest. Um, you know, there's there's a fullback added to the to the NFC side. They must not, you know, allow. It's, think, like a, it's like a DH in baseball. <laughs> I think you skipped it. It's Alec Ingold for the, uh, the, where, where, the This article just maybe didn't write it up then. Oh, okay. They left out. They left yeah, out. Alec Ingold. There it is. Beat out. Uh, who'd have to beat out? Um, Patrick Ricard. Pat, yeah, Ricard. That's the other name. Puka Nakua makes it. He's a rookie. You said we weren't doing the NFC. I know. I'm reading through it, though, and I'm, I'm altering oh. our plan right in front of your face. <laughs> and this article actually didn't finish, so they stopped on NFC defensive tackle. So the All Tennessean right. is where I found well, put it. Your re- put your resumes in for copy editor at whatever website Jake is using. The, the Tennessean seems like an important place. Yeah. Send right? them your resumes. Send the resume. Is the top vote getter? Who's the top vote getter? That's important. Couldn't tell you. Top five vote getters for Pro Bowl. Brock Purdy, number one, is to be all thought. <laughs> Christian McCaffrey, number two. Tua Tagovailoa, number three. George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. So the 49ers vote well is what we've learned. Uh, Baker Mayfield is an alternate. Right on. Congrats, Baker. Seriously. It's his third Um, time as an alternate. Miles Garrett did lead the AFC edge voters. So, you know, that's uh, the vote getters. Respect Miles more than perhaps a rival in the division. It'll break some hearts. And I'm done looking at Pro Bowl stuff. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back from break. We're going to do some mailbag questions. We will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive. 
Very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, we're going to lead off with the fun stuff. We never go random first. We're going to jump there first. What do you say about that, Andrew? I'm very random. All my friends say so. All right. Well, we're going to follow your lead here then. So we're not going to answer the question of... uh, We can do this, actually, because it is pertinent to the week ahead. of The three AFC South teams, AJM asked the question, um, do you believe... is Which ones do you believe is the best matchup for the Browns on the road in the wild card? Which is the worst? I wouldn't mind seeing Indy again since... They played them last time without Flacco. I don't even know if there's a wrong answer to this question. I mean, I think personally watching some of CJ Stroud rip it uh, against Tennessee last year, I don't want to see him. I really would. I know he's a rookie and rookie quarterbacks making playoff debuts are not good. Traditionally understood. I still don't want to see him. He's the most talented of the three and playing best. I'm sorry, Trevor Lawrence, you're beat up and you're not having a great year. I don't want to see CJ. So I'm firmly Texans last. I will probably go Colts because I think the Browns will have a better plan for them. And it's a, it's a closer playoff game to get more travel. So I would probably go Colts, Texans, and then sorry, Colts, Jags, Texans. That's, that's my thought. Yeah. I, since we talked about this a few days ago, I have, I've warmed similarly to the idea of playing the Colts again, because it, yeah. it, and, and a good reminder that AGM makes there that it was, that was a PJ Walker game for the Browns. So not particularly scared of their defense. Gardner Minshew in his first ever playoff game. I think there's reason to believe that that could get lopsided early. And yeah. I think the the Browns could really give that Colts team a lot of trouble if that game script was inhospitable to the Colts. So yeah. I'm warming up to that one because I do think the Jags probably talent level. We heard today Christian Kirk is active or, or ready to practice, I guess I should say. Yeah. So he's on the comeback trail. If he's back, that changes the composition of their offense from what we saw first time around. And you're right, it's a, it's a haul down to Jacksonville, so there will be some Browns fans, but there's going to be a whole hell of a lot of them in Indianapolis. Yeah, I, th- I just feel most comfortable with that one, you know, and, and I, I also, if I were to say not who I'd prefer and who I think, I feel like Jacksonville is going to lose, so I, I'm, I'm actually leaning toward they're going to go play the Texans. I think the Texans are going to beat the Colts. I so. think the Jaguars get it done, and we're headed to Jacksonville. All right, there we go. You guys got a good answer from us on that one. Next one's from Owen Butler. Just a question for Jake. When are you going to update your desktop background of the schedule? So uh, I happened to stumble upon this background, which is an awesome background on Reddit um, a while ago, which is the Browns. It's like the inside of the Browns stadium with a uh, schedule inside of it. It's so well done and it's awesome, but it was only after the third week. And I think people see it when I, I'm doing chalk talk and I take down the film to pull up defense. And yeah, I never, I never found an updated one. I'm sure it's in Reddit somewhere. I could find it again, but I have, I have not gone hunting for it. So whoever this person is that did this, it's the game field is the calendar. uh, And it's really cool. Thank you. If you listen to the show, let me know that you made it because it's, it's really well done. So I haven't had a chance to be able to find it though. So if I do, maybe I'll share it on social. And we'll have a good old time making computer desktop backgrounds together. What do you say to that, Andrew? Sounds like it's straight out of 2005, Jake. Ah, man, those are a good time for those. All right. Anyway, next question. What's been your favorite and least favorite moments this season? Jacob Coleman, also another person asked a similar question. Preston. All right. Favorite moment of the season, Andrew? It's a big question. I know. Yeah, okay. I think I think the game-winning drive against the Steelers at home by Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I, I think... Obviously, you could talk about that Ravens second half to come back against them in Baltimore. The beating the 49ers is an incredible accomplishment. Just last Thursday is hard to top with the Jets. I'll, I'll just go ahead and name them all for you, Jake. Uh, but, the, but the one that I... Rank your favorite moments from Andrew Spade. <laughs> the, the, no, my personal favorite is that game-winning drive by Dorian Thompson-Robinson against the Steelers because it, it came on the heels of that Ravens game. Gets them to seven and five or seven and three, seven and three. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of can't believe the adversity that they've faced coming off of a week where you learn that Deshaun Watson is done for the year. You were the highest of highs. You hit the lowest of lows. 
and you come back and a rookie quarterback leads a, a game-winning drive against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. If you're looking for one moment that the previous iterations of the Browns could not achieve, that to me is the one that stands out because everything was stacked against them in that game and they found a way to get it done. I think it's the win that I'm the most, even with the 49ers being on the list, it's the win that I'm the most proud of the team for this year. It's it's a good answer. I'm going to take this uh, answer in a little different perspective. I'm going to be like, I know I'm not trying to get very um, specific, but I'm, I'm like thinking of moments, right? So like the biggest moment, singular thing that made me say, holy shit, from a favorite perspective. So like, ironically, both of them came in stadium. I don't think that that's uh, a coincidence for me, but the missed field goal by the 49ers was like just an absolute stunned disbelief that a 40 yard field goal for the opposing team to beat the Browns in the stadium didn't go in. Couldn't, couldn't even comprehend it. The stadium couldn't even comprehend it at the time. That was just an unbelievable moment. Now, I will say that my most favorite moment was when the stadium is shaking on the Jerome Ford catch and run touchdown, where you're kind of putting it away. Because moments before that, you'd had the doomsday tip ball interception where it makes it 27 14, and you're like, oh, God, the Jets are going to come back and steal this right underneath our feet. And Flacco makes this goofy, it's just, it was a goofy lumbering play. Nobody could believe it. And again, like you could feel the stadium shaking when he scores that touchdown. And it's like, this is the NFL as I would have imagined it in Cleveland. And I, I just, I'm, I'm, and most people are standing and screaming. I was just kind of sitting on, I like to, I can't sit down in my seat, but I like to sit with the seat folded up and just sort of sit on the top of like the folded up seat. So I'm sitting, but I'm not really sitting. It's kind of strange. I just I too much nervous energy watching football. And I'm just like shaking my head. Like what is going on here? How are they doing this? Like how is Flacco pulling this stuff off? I just don't think I'll ever forget that moment where they go up 34, 34 to 14. And you're like, they're really, they're really going to win this. They're really going to win and clinch the playoffs in a primetime game. And uh, those two moments stand out to me, but there are, you know, there are a lot of really good, individual moments i mean hopkins kicking the game winner against the ravens and seeing that go through and all they had to do to to overcome that i mean that jacksonville throw right to uh to 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 amari was a pretty you know pretty fun moment to like see those replays and be like i can't believe he fit that throw into that window so there's yeah and you you named it there with the the pittsburgh the, the one throw i think of on that drive i think they got to third down and went to Njoku on that little pivot route back inside and he caught it and went like 14, 15 yards, got him down into field goal range. And again, another throw you could talk about was the bears throw that third down crazy throw where Flacco feels out the fire zone and lobs it over the defensive tackle and Njoku's running up the left sideline. That's another one Mm -hmm. where you really couldn't, you couldn't believe what was happening. And again, you know, talk about single plays, Greg Newsom's tip ball interception Mm -hmm. Uh, that they're like, oh, damn, they're back in this game with the Ravens on the road was pretty fun too, you know, because you're kind of just thinking like what moments made me stand up at home and be like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Right. That one's up there. Yeah. Yeah. So the specific, and you make a good point, the specific moment from that Steelers game was not a play, but it was Dorian Thompson Robinson on the sidelines after leading that drive. Yeah. Crouched down with Martin Emerson. You know, we got the audio of that later to, to hear the way Emerson was talking to him. It, it really cemented everything that we were starting to believe about this team. And now we know is true. What the, just the adversity that they were willing to overcome the resilience they're playing with the way, the fact that they're playing for each other game in game out. So yeah, I, I, I just think it's very emblematic of everything, but you're, you, you listed a lot of great moments. The, another one that's just kind of goofy is the, the hail Mary that is lands in the guy's bread basket and he oh, kicks man. away from himself. Darnell just in, in terms of cover with bears fans for that drop. You can't, you can't help but laugh. You can't help but laugh. Just like Elijah Moore breaking up what should have been a pick against the Jets, and it turns into a catch. I've never laughed more watching the Browns than this season, Jake, because things that should have gone wrong didn't, and you just watch them go right. And all you can do is laugh. It's like finding money on the street. <laughs> it is, man. Like how many times I've said this year that this just doesn't make sense. Like I couldn't help but say it three or four times. Because you're thinking, again, in that Jets game, you're thinking it's going to be hard to score, and they just come out and can't stop scoring. You're like, yeah, what makes sense anymore around here? Nothing makes sense. So 
Uh, it's been such a fun year when we can, you know, for, sort of get out of the moment, step back and do a little bit more of what we just did right there. I think it'll be really enjoyable to do. I guess for the sake of bringing the vibes down a little bit, though, we should probably <laughs> do least favorite moment as we were just riding high. I think there's two that stand out. I'll be interested to see what yours is. Go ahead. To me, it's without a doubt the Nick Chubb injury. Uh, that moment, week two, there was a palpable sense even then, I remember, of do you feel like the season is hanging in the balance? Yeah, you're, yeah. That you're doomed because – You've not seen this version of the Browns under Kevin Stefanski be successful without Nick Chubb. And so it felt felt really, really heartbreaking in that moment. And I'll just say I haven't forgotten that it didn't need to happen. He was tackled. Yeah. And that was a cheap shot from Minka Fitzpatrick towards a player who was defenseless and engaged up top. He knew what he was doing. He caused a traumatic knee injury to the Browns' best player. And I won't forget it. I just also find it awesome because Nick is awesome that a guy who just tore his ACL, right? It was more than that and some gnarly stuff there, but like he just tore his knee up. He'd come back. They'll heal him up. He never may be the same exact Nick, but he'll still be good. Has had two different introduction standing ovations in season. Yeah. Like, yeah, this city is, I, this, this city loves Nick Chubb. And I mean, I put it up against many, many, not LeBron cause I'm not doing that nonsense, but like this city, loves that dude he might be the single most loved browns player and miles is up there too but like Mm -hmm. he is loved that dude is man it's it's kind of amazing when he even though we you made a good prediction and we kind of all knew that he was going to probably be doing the guitar uh smash there like it was deafening like deafening deafening when he came out and it's like oh we just saw him a few weeks ago right like you know we got to see him but now he can climb stairs yeah now he can walk right um he's he's awesome him and to have him and miles is a real treat to watch here for yeah it's not just that their best players are really 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 good some of the best players in the league at their positions it's that they seem to be genuinely good people and we talk a lot about the where the browns are nationally because of the watson thing but on balance man throw david njoku in there man there's there's a lot of guys at the top of their roster that are pro bowl level players that are some of the best players in the league that are genuinely very good people and it's heartwarming yeah sure is the other least favorite one for me wasn't even on the field it was just like the deshaun watson shoulder stuff like out of nowhere like riding high from the biggest win of the season to like i know that we had had we'd been tipped off a little bit the obr was about this from one of us that doesn't normally get this sort of stuff. And I'm like laughing at him. Cause there's no way that's true. Yeah. And then 10 minutes later, it's true. And it's like, yeah, yeah. That was the second doom and gloom portion of the season where you started to really recover Watson gets to put forth his best game of the season. You can see a path here. Mm-hmm. And then, then that happened. stomach just complete, yeah. complete hopelessness and despair. Yeah. And I think that spread to the family. There was a lot of doom and gloom, even as the Browns were, you know, having some gritty wins and DTRs win was a ton of fun. You know, like the most listened to episodes you guys have loved the most is is uh, is the the Baltimore win like that, that in the Cincinnati opener with the, mm-hmm. the one that, in this most recent one, obviously, because that was it was, uh, you know, very important to the playoff scenario stuff here. But but yeah, it tells a story. And I think that there was a lot of like dipping back down the doom and gloom until Flacco arrived and, and did his thing here. So that was a tough one. You know, that feeling, I think, is maybe even worse than the Nick Chubb thing because it came out of nowhere so much. You accept that sometimes players get hurt in in the course of playing football. You don't expect to find out about it on Wednesday morning. It just it really took the rug out from underneath everything and and it you know it, it then it immediately necessarily because of the player and the contract sends you into this sort of spiral about the season, the future, the years, the the five-year plan for the team and that doesn't make it easier to to bear so yeah that was that was incredibly bleak yeah and i the fact that it opened the door for this is still one of the it's an all-time nfl storyline there's no other way to put it for sure and an ultimate twist of fate uh okay special teams coaching does the front office have an advantage over others with all the game tape that they'll have from their depth chart i don't know if they have an advantage over others there have been teams that have been beat up this year not to the maybe the level of importance of some of the payroll that the browns have had but other teams have been beat up so i would be hesitant to say they have some giant advantage i mean the advantage is that they're like looking at ronnie hickman d'anthony bell and some others play really well that's the advantage right 
Yes, that's the exactly how I was going to put it. They have players. Alex Wright is another name, even though they haven't had a ton of injuries at the uh, at the defensive end spot, but they have had players that were not supposed to play that have stepped up. Dewan Jones obviously would be the first name on this list if he also had not, not then it lost the season. So yeah. there's there's been a lot of guys that have stepped up and outplayed their expectations for the season. That's why the Browns are where they are, and those guys will continue, for the most part, to be involved. Hickman's the best example right now. He's playing really good football, and that – that sort of depth, we've talked about it before, but it's worth saying again, that sort of depth they have in the secondary where they can match up with different styles of wide receivers, different approaches in the passing game will really, really help them in the playoffs. Agreed. They want to have Hickman on the field. They're making that pretty evident by moving Juan Thornhill around more than him. All right, special teams coaching continued here. I thought there was a culture shift. This is from Gordon. The last question, Mike Berger. Sorry about not saying that, Mike. Um, Gordon asks, I thought there was a culture shift in 2020. That would lay the groundwork for future years. They failed to work out in 21 and 22. Are you now seeing indicators that the Browns can move into the top tier of teams like the Eagles, who are consistently stable and vying for contention? Um, there are good indicators. Yes, there are still coin flip games that have worked out in their direction, some in the opposite direction. So it's a little balanced. But the biggest part of this thing and why they went from seven and five into the 11 and five realm here is that Joe Flacco started playing really good football, right? The defense, I know there's a level of unstable that can happen with defenses year to year. I totally get that. I expect them to still uh, be bought into what Schwartz is selling. I don't think Jim Schwartz is going to get a job this year, but I never, you know, you never know, but I doubt that that's going to happen. I, I I think that, again, if Deshaun Watson starts to play better, that's the stable part of this whole thing. I think that there's enough core parts of the locker room that are going to be here for a while it's just can they get the quarterback room to play well enough for that to have an uplifting effect on the things, the uh, peripheral things here. And um, if Watson's good, then yeah, there's no reason they can't be competitive for years and, and stay consistent because in 2020 and then what happened in 21 and 22 is I don't think that, that the core part of their leadership, which was Baker Mayfield, they weren't quite there as a group. The people around Mayfield, Miles and Denzel and some of these others, they weren't there yet, and I don't think Mayfield was still ready to handle that burden. I, I don't. I think there was still immaturity there that we saw play out over those two years. So I think the collective locker room is better now, healthier now than it has been, but largely being the difference between a 7-win and a 10-win team, 11 and 12 in the next two or three years, Andrew's still driven by how well Deshaun plays because he's going to be their guy. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think that the difference is, is that the team that Baker Mayfield came onto back in 2018 had an absence, a complete absence of leadership. It was the biggest flaw yep. in the Sashi Brown rebuild plan was that they gutted the team so completely that they didn't keep anybody around that would keep an eye on culture. And so the Browns, I think for years there under Hugh Jackson and then Freddie Kitchens, and then even at the beginning of the Kevin Stefanski area had really, really bad culture and didn't, have anybody that was in a position to tell anybody else to knock it off. And I think that what has changed is that at, the, at that time, the onus was on a young Baker Mayfield who had only experienced success at Oklahoma to come in and change that culture. And he was not emotionally mature enough to do that. Now, Deshaun Watson doesn't have to change anything. The culture has been built around him. Yeah. And so you've got guys that have been here a long time. David Njoku mentioned him before. Martin Emerson is a player that deserves a ton of credit for the sort of culture player that he is. Greg Newsom, I think, is in that conversation. There's a, there's a bunch of names we can list. I, I Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, we talk about them. Those guys, whether the quarterback is here or not, are going to keep playing and winning. That's how the Browns won games with P.J. Walker at quarterback. Well said. All right, next question uh, comes from David Slivka, who asks, how's the practice squad and elevations work for the playoffs. There seem to be uh, storing a backup punter kicker for the remainder of the season, uh, even though they let go of the punter. Um, so they don't have to place the starters on IR. Can they still elevate? This is a pretty simple answer, right, Andrew? They can elevate at will? Unlimited. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so it's still two elevations, but yeah. no limit on how many times they can be elevated. So even if a guy has been elevated three times through the season or two times or whatever, once you get the playoffs, then it's as many more times as you need. So that's probably why they signed Roger Saffold today. Uh, I don't think we covered that earlier. Yeah, He's he's going to be on the practice squad for offensive line depth. And 
you know, do they get in a situation, God forbid, where they have an injury at left tackle for the playoffs? Maybe now is when you could consider bumping Batonio out and a player like Roger Saffold does come in at guard because you've got more depth at guard than you do at tackle. These are the things that would only apply to the playoffs. So you can add a little bit more depth to that practice squad because you can use those those positions a little bit more freely through the playoffs. Right on. Good job. Uh, next question, Jeff Capacci asks, not to overlook the importance. And we're holding off on as many offseason questions as we can, right? Like there's, there's a few months coming ahead, guys, to discuss these things after they win the Super Bowl, but we'll get to it. Not to overlook the importance of these weeks coming ahead, uh, but is there a position group that you'd like to see Andrew Barry pull his patented fifth round pick swap for a veteran in the offseason? Uh, I'll throw it to you, Andrew, first, and then I'll try to see if I have something different. I think maybe it's running back. I, I, that's a, kind of an off the wall answer, but I mean, they went after DeAndre Swift not too long ago. They right. they were right. poking around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's one. Maybe tackle. I thought maybe they could pair Jed. That's a great shot. A that's a great shot. Yep somebody's yeah. not wanting to pay a tackle or there's a mm-hmm. tackle they feel better about on the fringe mm-hmm. than him. I don't, I don't know. Could be another veteran edge rusher. If they, yeah. if Zedarius wants more money, decides to go elsewhere for one more payday, but they don't feel a hundred percent into giving Alex right. 80% of the snaps. Maybe there's somebody you can pair with, with him on the strong side. Nice job. Good call. All right. There you go. There's your answer. We are not really putting our mind to that stuff quite yet. After what happened in Houston, do you think the Browns will or can Activate both Hopkins of healthy and Patterson for the wild card uh, in case Hopkins aggravates his injury. That question comes from Ben. I think if you have any doubt about Hopkins potentially getting out there and having an issue, you damn well better because you can't have what happened in Houston happen again where you don't have a kicker in a playoff game. So that's not what you want. It's kind of an uncomfortable thing, but I think you just have to, Andrew. Yeah. If you think about it from the standpoint that the the last guy active is going to be probably a special teams only player like Jordan Kanasich or Matthew Adams or whomever. You'd rather have one more kicker if kicker, if a kicker injury is a concern because from a special teams value perspective, that ability to not play a game without a kicker is more valuable than whatever special teams player is going to give you. So I think the, the real answer is hopefully Hopkins is healthy. And if he's not a hundred percent, they don't try it because they have Riley Patterson is a, is a veteran NFL kicker. So they shouldn't need to risk it with Hopkins is my, my feeling on it. Yep. Right on. All right. Next question comes from Frank Boggs. Heard this in a podcast a few weeks ago. Are we prepared for the off season narrative for the Browns to be that they need to pay 39 year old Flacco and get rid of Watson? They better do in the postseason. The, uh, the better they do in the postseason, the more this will be the storyline. It's it's like a catnip for ESPN, Ringer, et cetera. Um, yeah, I I mean, I think what I would say is I welcome that because by welcoming that, it means the Browns did something really special in the postseason, and I think that is a question that Philadelphia fans probably were asking about Carson Wentz when Nick Foles took them to the Super Bowl. To it just comes with the territory, so. Just me personally, I welcome it. Maybe the maybe the Watson camp is stewing a little bit about when those things happen. It's not like they watch social media or anything like that. But uh, I, I I just you know it's something that he's going to have to overcome and block out. And he's got no choice, and the franchise has paid him and themselves here and put themselves in the position to have no choice. We're pretty much on the stance here at the OBR film breakdown that we don't expect Flacco back next year. But I think that the more success Flacco has the more that that stuff's going to pop up. So I welcome it because that means he took them on a pretty miraculous run. So it won't be very loud if they, if he has a stinky wildcard game and they're out in round one, but if he takes them to the AFC championship game or, you know, God's willing to let them go to the Super Bowl and have a shot at the whole thing. Yeah, it's going to be loud, but that's because they did something really special. So I would welcome that Andrew. Yeah. I just, I, I, I think Honestly, great answer, Jake. I I can't add much to that. I I think that I have never been less interested in engaging with an off-season question than this one. I just don't care. No offense. I don't care. Yeah, it just doesn't Yeah, no, Right, nothing personal to the the asker. I understand why everybody wants to talk about it. I don't. I don't want to talk about it. My dad keeps trying to bring it up every time we watch football together, and I'm like, just just enjoy it, Dad. Yeah. My dad was asking about buying a Flacco jersey. I said it'll be a fun... Oh, like absolutely. Jersey to have for like yeah. purposes, but you're not going to 
it's not going to be something you're wearing in three years because he's like on the roster or something. So you no, know. but you could be wearing it ironically in three years if things go really poorly. Yeah, it'll be like a cool party jersey if you're 100 youngster, right? Um, all right, next we're going to switch to offense. We have a few more to go. Uh, am I crazy to think this comes from a good friend Jack McCurry that Jeff Driscoll, who hasn't even been here a week, will step in and make the offense look smoother than at any point PJ Walker had during the season? Yeah, I think that we already kind of told you why, because he was in Arizona, and I think there's familiarity with the system, whereas PJ was sort of learning on the fly. I think that that's important to remember for the sake of crushing. Not that I think PJ's the most talented quarterback to ever grace the field here. I think that he he had struggles of his own, but Driscoll has a chance to step in and do it because he's familiar with it. Now, I personally just want it because I want the Browns to say, They've had five different starting quarterbacks win a game for them this year, which would be, you know, they're already the most at four, you know, so to get to five would just be kind of ironic and funny and pretty damn cool, you know? Yeah. Why not be the more most, right? I uh, love the more most. I, I, I'll just say <laughs> stick up for PJ Walker here a little bit, man. Like I felt so too. I don't think Jack was trying to be me. No, like, he's not. He's not. And I don't think anybody is, but like he is part of the story. He is absolutely a part of the story for the Browns. And I know that there were some times where watching him was rough stuff, and I'm sure that he feels that too. But he is not a bad quarterback in terms of – he's an NFL quarterback is what I'm trying to say. It's not he's like he doesn't belong in the league. position. He was yes, exactly. A really exactly. Spot. And one of the reasons that he was put in that spot, frankly, is because he has the mental toughness to handle being put in that spot. There are other quarterbacks that mentally could not handle what he was asked to handle. And his resilience – being put in that tough spot is actually is inspiring for the rest of the team because guys love it when you are put in a situation where your back is against the wall and you go and play well. And that's exactly what he, he beat the 49ers, man. Yeah. Like yeah, I th- I we think all need we- to put a little bit more respect on PJ Walker's name, not because he's like a, 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 an MVP, but because he did what he was asked to do really, really well. Yeah, I think that the way I would phrase it to get super corny here is like the the there's a lot of pages in the 23 Brown story and he's got a couple important chapters in there that I think that I because of how miraculous the end of the year has gone and that Watson came back in between like it feels forever ago since PJ started a game but there were some really important games that he played and not that he was always mm-hmm. driving the winning in those games but he made some like We've talked about this on this show that every quarterback they've started, we'll see what Driscoll has up his sleeve here, but every quarterback they've started has had important moments. And like he made some really, you know, big throws in times of need. The indie game that cover two shot up the right sideline on third down. He made some throws. So the story doesn't go off without, without PJ. And, and again, there are players that are, when they're put in that situation, melt down so badly. You all can think of examples here. We've all seen them in the NFL where the guys go out and they throw four interceptions and a half and you, you can't play, you can't play quarterback with them. You got to just run the ball. You, you cannot do it. And he never put the Browns in that situation. So they're two and one in games that he played. And if they are zero and three in those games, Jake, think about how far outside of the playoff picture they are. They need a ton of help this weekend to even get in pro PJ Walker podcast right here, folks. Next question from Seth Arnold. I know I'm biased because I'm a pit fan and I go to pit, but I love, and it's a dangerous way to start a question on this podcast, but I'd love to see Brennan Marion as a coach on the Browns offensive staff, what he did for Jordan Addison and his development at Pitt as a wide receiver coach. And now doing it UNLV as a offensive coordinator with that go, go offensive special. We are uh, on the show, very pro Brennan Marion and any coach like him that the Browns want to bring in, right? I know this is Andrew's guy. I've been enjoyed over the years reading about Brennan's offensive development. Uh, I would be giddy, 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 giddy if they brought in somebody with a history with him and like him or somebody of that creative thinking thought process for this offense, even though I think it's gotten better than on the, on the record saying that I think they've done some really fun stuff here at the end of the year. I do think that, that adding somebody like that would be a very welcome sort of thing yeah it's interesting he had a few looks uh, early in the coaching carousel for college interview with san diego state they went with uh, the guy from colorado sean lewis and I, I think he interviewed i'm off the top of my head i'm struggling to think where else but he had a few interviews for head coaching jobs i think he he's definitely has not been afraid to move in his career that's the one oh, thing yeah. i'll say about him he he's always looking for that next opportunity so 
But yeah, what he did with UNLV is really impressive. And that sort of forward thinking stuff is the part of the Browns offense that we have lacked felt has have felt is lacking the most. And so this is just one answer, right? But changing wide receivers coach from Chad O'Shea to somebody like Brennan Marion, it's, it gets you very excited. So it doesn't have to be him, but somebody in that ilk on the coaching staff would be welcome. All right. Two more offense questions. How good would Chubb be behind this line and how they're blocking? Would he be good enough to cover up for what they're lacking up front? That comes from shoes 54, which sounds like my son's first Xbox live gamer tag someday. But uh, I digress. Um, he, I don't think he would have had one of his best years, Andrew. I'll put it that way. Uh, I, I think he would have obviously been better than what they have, but I don't think he would have been, uh, it would have been one of his better years, right? Because he's had some special efficiency seasons. So I don't think it would have been as good, but I do think he still would have been, he still would have been plenty fine, right? So I, I, I again, my hunch there, not as good, but somewhat, um, no, not even somewhat. I'm taking that out, but better than what they've had. I would have still run for a thousand and done some of those things, but wouldn't have been quite as uh, peak Nick as we're accustomed to, right? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I also think that he would just put a floor in this offense that has been missing at times. Yeah. In terms of just not being able to move the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think then now where they are would be such a welcome change of pace to the play action game that's working so well. He would finally be getting some really favorable looks. And so you really wish they had him down the stretch here because as we've talked about, they're struggling to close games out. Um, we did, we got late breaking news. This is a question that we got asked last week, but did not get to. And so I want to make sure that it gets here on the pod. It's a two-parter. Uh, a few weeks ago, you both understandably dismissed the notion of Flacco being a better option than Brissett last season. Uh, do you still feel that way? This is from Variance. I'm shrugging my shoulders. I, I think Jacoby would have been really good for this team this year. I really do. So, you know, I I don't know that I think Flacco would have been worse than Brissett or anything. I that's a hard question to answer. I think Joe has has done some things recently to make us respect him in a way we weren't respecting him initially, right? I think a lot of people. But I still think Jacoby would have done some really fun things. He was really good with Kevin. They were a good pairing together. So I'm not ready to just dismiss Jacoby now because Flacco's put together some nice games. I also think he takes care of the football a little bit better than Joe does. So I also think there's a, there's that element to tie into it. And I would have loved to have either. We were pushing for a trade, Andrew. Like I would have been more than happy to have Jacoby back in this regard. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I understand bringing that back up, but I I don't have any like, man, good thing they didn't get Brissett. No, I mean, I think he would have been good. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the things that's going to be hard to understand or swallow here is if the best game Joe Flacco plays for the Browns was against the Jets. Yeah. Because like you want to believe that this trend line just keeps going up and up and up. But what he did was a real outlier type performance. And so you just have to temper a little bit. I think the enthusiasm, because we're not going to see him this weekend in Cincinnati. So he steps on the field in Indianapolis or Jacksonville or whatever. If he throws two early picks and the Browns get down 10, I don't think that changes how we feel about Joe Flacco because no. this that was already kind of baked into it. He, he yeah. is a high upside, high downside player. That's his play style, has been for a long time. So you embrace that. I think the Jacoby Brissett piece of this is probably, like you said, minimizing the downside Maybe you cap the upside a little bit because he doesn't make the throws that like that throw to Njoku on that first drive is almost an inter- it's within inches of being an interception, but instead is a great throw. So yeah, I I think again, this is kind of like talking about what happens this offseason. They are riding a hot hand at the blackjack table, and I don't really want to concern myself with like hypotheticals that would change yeah. it. It's just like put the blinders on and just keep keep asking for more cards yeah Flacco's pulling threes when he's hitting on 18 uh the question that asked Austin DPL we'll come back to the one you you just mentioned from variance in a second uh Austin DPL asks a a question that branches off of your ascending Flacco you want to believe he keeps getting better 
what's more important for a deep postseason run, the defense staying on their elite path or Flacco in the offense continuing to find explosive plays downfield? I think that's a great question. I think there's been some recent stuff looked into about, and I believe it was Cleve T.A. who did who did some of this banter back on Twitter uh, a couple days ago about the teams that make the Super Bowl are top 10 explosive play rate offenses. I talked about this on the Comprehensive Pod yesterday that the Browns over the last five weeks with Joe have gone above four every game. The Browns didn't have a game above four until he started. Now there's also the bust plays happening a little more frequently than any of us would like to, but they are finding explosive plays top 10 in the last five weeks in the explosive play rate. So I'm interested in what you think is most important here. The defense staying on their path line because then they can maybe absorb a bad Flacco game in the playoffs uh, in the opener, perhaps, or Joe just continuing to be better and better where the defense sort of meanders a little bit and isn't quite as successful. I'm curious what you think. I think I'm going to go with the defense. I think I am too. I think I am too. Just because I just think that the the high end for this defense is higher even than what Flacco has been doing. So uh, unless think about the 49ers game is the example. Yeah, there you go. Those are the types of games that you can win in the playoffs where it's, it's frustrating and you just do enough offensively. I don't want them to be in Colts games types of types of games. I don't I don't find that to be something that they can do multiple times, but I do think they can take multiple trips down the 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 Jacksonville or 49ers game type paths where they take an explosive really good offense and bottle them up and do just enough scoring to win, right? Like that to me feels multi-layered in the playoffs whereas the Flacco explosive play type games just like those are fun but ultimately how sustainable is that for this version of the Browns I don't know I don't know maybe they get both maybe Flacco keeps ascending and I mean that's the Super Bowl case right and that's what we've been saying is that if you get both you you go someplace really special but like I guess what I would just say again is like they scored 19 points against the Rams in his first game. They scored 31 against the Jags, 20 against the Bears, 36 against the Texans. We we know how that came to be. And then 37 against the Jets. So it seems like, you know, it's kind of this ascending path. But I I would be surprised, Jake, and I wonder what you think. I would be surprised if they were as freewheeling throwing the football in the playoffs as they were in that Jets game. Because I feel like Kevin's going to, perhaps rightfully so, you a little bit closer towards his his roots, his fa- foundational philosophy, which is, you know, he's a defensive player in college. Like he believes in being sound with the football. So I wonder if they bottle it up a little bit for the playoffs. I don't think they can, Andrew. I really don't. I don't. I don't think they're going to run it well enough for him to do that. I, I I would be pretty surprised if they if they if they went away from what they've been doing that's working. Like Kevin having enough faith to call play action flood concepts in the third quarter when you're leading bit like they he needs to coach that way with this team and how inefficient they are running I think he needs to coach that way and if he does get very tight I think that would be disappointing to me because you're ultimately going to live and die by where Flacco and the defense takes you so just keep doing what you're doing you've won these ball games. just keep doing what you're doing trust that Joe can can cut out more of those mistakes like I I just think that like <laughs> like we're in your hands Joe they're in they're in Joe's hands I, I hear you, but I guess so, what I'm saying is is ask him to make two throws in the game rather than ask him to make six. I mean, I'm with you. In if theory, you that's great. Trust the defense. I would like them to not throw him 40 times, but if they li- literally cannot put together any running forward momentum, they're just going to have to. I think that's yeah. what Kevin's the last three weeks have forced him to do is like he, behind closed doors, I think he's saying we can't run. We've tried every you know, thing up our sleeve here to get this figured out. We're not good at it. So we just need to, to throw it. We need to throw it and live with the results. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I hear you. You, you could be totally right. I'd love to live in a world where Flacco throws 30 times in a game, like just 30 on the dot. Like that's a great number. But if we're in the second quarter and they've got four negative zero yard runs, it's like, they're going to have to do this. They're just going to have to do it and live with the result. And ultimately that's what we're playing house. I feel like they're playing with house money. I do. So like, yeah, I, me, I won't I be disappointed if they go out that way. I, I just don't, I don't, I also don't want I, them to live in a bottled up world either. No. And I, I guess I'm saying this all from the standpoint that the defense 
is able to keep the other team down. In which case, you you, you you're can building be a-, in a blame Kevin scenario here. I see what you're doing. You <laughs> all I'm all I'm all I'm trying to imagine is a world where you're okay punting a few times. Yeah, I, I'm with that. I would like them to punt be- instead of throwing it to the other team or fumbling. Right, you. because you trust the defense. The defense yeah. is this is the, I'm just saying it's a, what you said about mucking up the games, like the 49ers game. That game had a lot of punts in it. It did, and it that's did. okay. And then PJ threw a crippling interception late. Right. And then tried to throw one down on the goal line, right? Down down there too. I mean, they're here's what they here's what they have to do. We're we're going back and forth. They have to do what works on offense. If they can't run it, they're just gonna have to throw it. If they can run it and he's not if he's he's if they can run it and then he stops doing that just in order to throw it 40 times, then we have a discussion about like he was just wheeling and dealing for no reason here. Right. right? That's right. Yeah. No, but I'm I'm just saying or especially early. They don't need to throw a bunch to try and rack up points when they have a defense that can keep them in the game. I'm just I'm tr- trying to make the case for them yeah. putting it in the yeah. hands of the defense a little bit. But I see what your point is, is that essentially this is all going to come down to how Flacco plays. And I agree with you on that. So, yeah, cal- uh, calculated aggression will be important. Flacco, there you go. Seam ball interceptions that get returned. Yes. Like there's there's varying levels to like the deep shot punts are not the end of the world, right? I mean, interceptions are never encouraged, but there are varying levels to the types that hurt you. So I would prefer them to avoid the types that crush you. Uh, We've gone through all this stuff. I wanted to get to Variance's last question. Is it possible to make a case that Zach Taylor is greater than Stefanski or is he saying Stefan? I mean, it's kind of screwing me up here. I don't, he said, I don't think so, but I've seen some crazy takes. So I guess he's saying, is it possible to think Zach Taylor is better than Kevin? And he's saying he doesn't think so. And I agree. I don't think so either. I really I, don't, do. I also don't think there's a wide margin. I think Zach Taylor's proven to be a nice coach. Like I think yeah. Kevin's better. I'd prefer to take Kevin, but I don't I don't think like I think Zach Taylor's fine. He think he's a nice leader for them and pairs well with Burrow and he's built a nice staff. So, uh, like I know it's kind of cool to go on like Twitter and argue with opposing AFC North fan bases. It's also kind of cool to say like the Ravens and Steelers and Bengals have their shit together and that's fine, right? Like it's weird that, that we that, like there's this right hatred thing every day. These people log on and just find hatred about this stuff. It's so right. One of the things that makes what the Browns have done this season so impressive is that they're doing it in the best division in football. Yes. Bingo. Well said. And nobody wants to say that. They just want to argue uh, right. uh, with each other. It you, it's not okay to be a little bit better than the Bengals, the Ravens and the Steelers. You have to be yeah. a lot better than all of them all the time. And that's, it's asking too much, too much. Last question, Joey J if Hickman, and Bell continue to play well this season. What's the concern level of signing another third safety in the offseason that can play both positions like McLeod? And I'd love to have McLeod back, by the way. I don't think they need to worry about safety in the offseason. I think you've got Grant long term, you got another year of Juan Thornhill, and you got two flexible types that are going to be there in yeah. Hickman. And uh, <laughs> you know, Juan Thornhill's a leader, right? I, I really like what McLeod has provided, Deron Harmon has provided. I'm into those types of guys. I wouldn't blame them if they brought one of them back just to have a fifth safety because they're smart, intelligent players who can play specials and do all that. So I'm cool with that too, but I'm just going to be honest, Joey. I am not worried about safety because I think they've solved it. I, I really do. And I think part of the reason they've solved it is because they signed Rodney McLeod this year. And so if you want Rodney McLeod back, I almost feel like make him a coaching fellow and yeah. – make him the assistant safeties coach or assistant secondary coach. I think keeping around would be great, but I think he is pretty much done playing. So uh, unless he really wants to play one more year, I think he would be a great addition. You saw him on the sidelines during the Jets game, coaching guys up. He is involved with this defensive plan. It feels like a natural transition to me for him to get his start coaching in Cleveland. We'll see. Serious injury like that could make him, you know, want to look at that sort of opportunity. But yeah, that'd be great. He's beloved and he's great. And I think it's really good that the Browns have surrounded their young safeties, uh, including Thornhill, who's been only exposed to Kansas City with Super Bowl experience like Deron Harmon and obviously Rodney McLeod as well. Those guys have given them huge pieces of knowledge to understand what Jim Schwartz wants and uh, can't really build that up enough. So Uh, kudos to them for getting the safety room right in a very special way this year that's it for the pod today ton of stuff a lot of mailbag questions that was great and then um obviously some pro bowl banter in there as well too so i hope you leave this pod feeling very well informed that's what we're trying to do the questions were fantastic thought you guys nailed them we'll be back with another one of those uh before you know it next week andrew it's kind of crazy to think we'll be in playoff week 
Haven't been able to say that since 2020. So mm. it's really cool to be on the cusp of that. Until then, we'll get prepared for an O'Driscoll showing this weekend. Can't wait to consume that. And uh, good times, good stuff ahead. But good show, buddy. Thanks for thanks for hanging out and doing it. I love the questions. I love the mailbags. It's really the most fun that I have doing this pod because it forces us to think about a lot of stuff. Some stuff we haven't thought of. Some stuff it gives me a chance to get on my soapbox about PJ Walker, for example. I, I, just, I love the variety. It's so much fun to just rattle those off. So thanks, everybody, for sending them in. I echo that. Thanks for sending them in, guys. We'll catch you on your next podcast. I'm not even sure what that pod will totally entail. Maybe behind enemy lines. We'll try to get with a Bengals guest. We'll do our best. If not, we know who the Bengals are pretty well, and this game is relatively meaningless, so it might not even might not even be totally worth it. But I'll keep you in the loop as we try to get ready for this Browns Week 18 game against the Bengals. Thanks to Andrew. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day, guys. As always, go Browns. Go Browns.